Hello and welcome. Uh, my name is John Yor. I'm a, a tax partner at Cherry Beckert. Uh, I work out of the DC uh, office in the Rockville and Tyson's Corner. Um, today we're going to discuss some year-end pl tax planning for government contractors specifically. Um, today I'm joined by two of my partners and I'll let them introduce themselves now. Hi, I'm uh, Greg Marks. I'm a tax partner here in our uh, Miami office. And I'm Carol Marin, and I'm a tax partner here in our Austin office. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Carol. Um, so just to kick us off a little bit today, a lot of the government contractors that we work with, uh, the entity that they are taxed as generally a, a pass-through entity. We do have some C corporations, but generally they're a, an LLC that's taxed as a partnership or an S corporation. Uh, so this year-end tax planning, besides planning from an entity level, we also have to plan from a, from an individual level, uh, because as, as a lot of you know, the income, the net income that is generated at the entity level for a pass-through entity is passed down through a K-1 to the individual uh, owner's returns, and regardless of whatever distributions you receive during the year. So if I have... $3 million of income passing down through a K-1, maybe I only received $500 of distributions, but that $3 million is still coming through on the K-1 and that's what I'm taxed on. So today, as we talk about year-end tax planning, what we're trying to do is reduce that taxable income that's passing down through the K-1s to the individual return, or in case of a C corporation, what's reported on that return, in order to defer taxes or potentially avoid taxes as much as possible. Um, so with that, I'm going to uh, pass on to Carol, where she's going to kind of kick us off on, on some tax strategies. Thanks, John. Yeah, just some normal sort of year-end planning that we like to mention that are things that you can do before you're in to sort of mitigate your income for the year. Uh, one way is just to defer some revenue if possible. Depending on if you're a cash or accrual basis taxpayer, there are different ways that you can handle this by deferring invoicing or collections. Um, some other ideas are on the deduction side where you can accelerate some of your deductions. For instance, um, by purchasing fixed assets before the end of the year and putting them in service, um, that allows you to take some extra bonus depreciation or to claim Section 179 expense if you're if you meet the parameters for such. Um, another thing is that if you have bonuses and you want to get those paid, um, you know, if you're cash basis, you want to pay those year-end bonuses before the end of the year or accrue them for a accrual basis, and then you have to pay those within two and a half months of the end of the year. But those are just some ideas of how to sort of manage the taxable income at the end of the year. Um, which makes a difference when you're flowing through that to your personal return. Now, some government contractors or 8A, um, especially 8A contractors, have some special regulations and thresholds that they have to meet. And when you're looking at like the $350,000 threshold for um, income that you look at each year, um, the income from the flow through is not what's looked at. It's more your salary and distribution. So there's some special ideas and and issues that need to be looked at for those, but we can, and if you have any questions on those, we're happy to go through those as well. Now, um, Greg's going to be here and talk a little bit about retirement plans and how those can be used to help manage income as well. Greg? Thanks, Carol. Um, and yeah, just building off of what Carol was saying in terms of 
an income from an income deferral standpoint, um, you will want to explore maximizing any of your pre-tax retirement plan contributions. Uh, so the limitations uh, for 401ks in 2021, that amount is $19,500, and that jumps um, by $1,000 to $20,500 uh, starting for 2022. Uh, on the IRA side, the, the amount is $6,000 for each of those two years. Um, there wouldn't be any, any age limit for contributions to your traditional IRAs. And one piece that's uh, particularly relevant um, over these last couple of years, there were specific uh, and special uh, coronavirus related distributions from certain accounts. So you may wanna consider um, either paying tax on those or returning amounts to, to the plans before year end to make sure that, that again, you're, you're mitigating your income tax as much as possible. Um, there is uh, one uh, caveat specific to the 8A program, a concept of excessive withdrawals. Um, this is just a pitfall to be aware of when, when looking at things holistically. Um, so withdrawals from companies, as, as Carol alluded to, um, you know, those can include your owner salaries. It can include certain retirement contributions, um, even things such as rent paid to affiliated companies and um, any distributions that the owners are receiving really in excess of amounts that would be required to pay the taxes on, on the income generated by the business. And so to avoid uh, violating the excess of withdrawal uh, rules, uh, the SBA has put into place uh, certain, certain pieces here. If the company's sales exceed $2 million, the annual limit for those withdrawals would be $400,000. And remember, um, as you know, discussed previously, uh, those withdrawals or distributions from your business in excess of the amounts needed to pay the tax would not, not only be counted as part of the excessive withdrawal limits, but also will count towards the AGI test uh, that we had mentioned previously. Um, now there is kind of a, you know, an additional planning tool that, that John's going to touch on here for a bit that you can stack on top of this and make sure you're, you're taken into account here. Yeah, so as, as Greg mentioned, and, and this, so we, we deal with a fair amount with 8A uh, gov, government contractors, either that were in the program or that uh, currently are still in the program. And as, as Carol's mentioned and Greg mentioned, you know, there's the, the test for personal income tests, there's the excessive withdrawal test, and there's actually two additional tests that deal with the net worth and total assets of, of the individual. Uh, with our net worth and total assets, one of the exclusions to those tests is a retirement plan that has uh, restrictions in place where they, you know, you can't take the funds immediately. You have to wait, as a typical IRA or 401k will have. Um, so what some of our uh, clients, what we've helped them with is set up a VIP uh, retirement plan where some of the owners, um, the owners or maybe some some higher uh, officers can be part of this plan. And since we're restricted on some of the income coming out, a lot of times we can structure a VIP plan so they can sock away some of this money and, and make additional contributions to a VIP plan. Um, not only does this help us, you know, take money out of the, out of the entity and, and, and put it away for future use, um, but it's a great way to reward uh, maybe some of the employees that you've had for a long time that have helped you build the business and have been there with you uh, the whole time. It's also been used, we have clients use it as a recruiting tool. Uh, a lot of our clients are growing uh, tremendously and it's, you know, human capital is, is, is kind of a rare commodity now. 
And if you can put this uh, retirement plan in front of them as a recruiting tool, that's usually pretty beneficial. So um, there's some creative ways this VIP uh, retirement plan is one of those that we can work with um, any government contractor to help you know, put the money aside and to and to create um, additional opportunities uh, for for your current employees or for recruiting. Uh, but if specifically for 8A, it's it's a it's even a more powerful tool. Thanks, thanks for touching on that, John. Um, so that that covered um, you know some of the the income mitigation pieces. One other uh, topic that certainly isn't unique to government contractors and 8A participants. But but does uh, overlap with with some of those uh, businesses quite a bit is the concept of the research and development credit, and and it is a credit it is a dollar for dollar credit as opposed to some of the deductions that we were talking about earlier, and so very generally the this R and D tax credit it's really a, a federal tax subsidy for for spending on qualified research activities. The intent here is is to encourage small businesses to reinvest uh, the savings that they're experiencing on innovation and R&D efforts as, as they continue to grow here. Um, so you might be thinking that this R&D tax credit is only for these, you know, technology companies that are designing, you know, you know, th this or that, but there are really, um, you know, there are a lot of companies that you might not think of as typical qualifiers um, that, that do participate in those qualifying activities. To give you an idea of what the, the qualifying activities are, um, you know, that could be something as simple as developing or testing new products and materials, um, enhanced formulations, testing new concepts, something as general as improving existing products uh, or conducting trial and error experimentation, um, and really just in general developing or improving um, production uh, or processes that you have in place there. And so, as I said before, the credit is, is, is different from a deduction. That's a, it's a dollar for dollar offset against the taxes that you owe. Um, and the, the taxpayers in this situation can choose between two methods of calculating the credit. Um, you, you can have a regular credit equal to 20% of the excess of the taxpayers, those qualifying research expenses over a certain base amount, um, or there, there's an alternative uh, simplified credit uh, that you know we don't have to get into the math here. But essentially, there, there's quite a bang for your buck when, when it, you know, pursuing these R&D tax credits. As long as you are, um, as long as you are pursuing those qualifying, uh, you know, activities, and um, those are, are gen, you know, you're, what you're generally looking at are employee wages, uh, supply costs directly attributable to those qualifying research activities, and then 65% um, of payments to outside contractors who are also involved in, in those specific activities. Uh, one piece to keep in mind that if you don't use R&D tax credits uh, and you're an eligible small business, you can carry those back a year and forward uh, up to 20 years to offset um, any AMT liabilities in those years. So, uh, you know, while while certain businesses might be getting off the ground here, uh, th these are benefits that that can that can help a business grow for years to come. Um, yeah, and Greg, if I can mention quickly. Um, a lot of my clients uh, take advantage of this credit, and I think you, you explained very well that a lot of times they don't they don't think that they're doing research and development. But as long as it's new to your company or you're doing something, um, you know, it doesn't have to be new to the industry, new to the world, um, you, you may qualify. It also depends on the type of contract that you are working on. 
specifically for government contractors. Um, certain types of contracts would not be eligible for this credit, so the so the employee wages and other expenses you have uh, wouldn't be eligible. But most of the time, our clients will have some contracts that are, and sometimes all of them. Um, for example, uh, many times a, a firm fixed pricing contracts uh, would would be eligible. And so it's something that, that we can continue to look at. Um, and the other point I would make on this, there are some companies out there that that advertise that they do R and D, and maybe that's all the only thing they do. This is a this has been a hot topic area for the IRS to to look into. Um, not so much as, as some other uh, items right now, but it's it's something that because those credits are so high that they will sometimes look at. Uh, uh, Cherry Becker and I think some other other places as well. When we do those credits, we will give you a packet that says, this is how we calculate these credits. These are all the, the baseline amounts. And, and just it's a, basically an audit-ready uh, folder or, or uh, data dump that we turn over to the government contractor. In the event that the IRS wants to take a look, you just hand that to them, and we haven't had any issues. Um, other firms, other um other companies that, that uh, have done this, a lot of times will just give you a piece of paper and say, this is what your credit is. And you can put that on the return, but there's no there's no background. And so when I've had clients come on for the first time and we're going backwards because the IRS has questions, we don't have a lot of that data and we kind of have to do the credit over again to calculate it. So just something to keep in mind as you're going through these credits, uh, you'd want to get a a very solid background on how those numbers are calculated in the event that you need to prove that. Thanks, John. Yeah, I mean, you know, from what I've seen, the you know, it is a very robust deliverable that that we provide. Um, right. there, there's quite a bit of work that goes into it, but but certainly beneficial all the way around, and something that can be very meaningful to to businesses that are are you know looking to grow and, and getting off the ground. Um, so I know we touched on a, a couple of. You know, maybe hot button issues uh, that that'll that'll impact things for your end. I know Carol, you also had maybe a couple of other um, finishing thoughts on 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 some other things to consider as well. Yes, thank Greg. Uh, thanks, Greg. Uh, yeah, there is a couple of new limitations that are coming back into play for 2021 that we just wanted to bring back to everyone's attention. One of them is the four, section 461L, and it's the excess business loss limitation. Um, and that is back in effect for the current year. And what that does, it limits the amount of losses that can be taken in one year. And for 2021, that amount for a married filing jointly couple is 524,000. And for uh, all other taxpayers, it's 262,000. So that just want to make you aware that that is back into play for 21. Also, um, the limitations on net operating losses beginning in 2021, um, all losses generated are carried forward only. They're not allowed to be carried back anymore. And then beginning in years 2018 forward and forward, you're only able to offset 80% of your current year taxable income with your net, net operating losses. So that's just another planning tool and um, a reason to just be aware of that. And when you're going into any sort of year end calculations, what the limitations on those two items are. Um, so John, I think you had a few um, final remarks. Yeah, thanks, Carol. Um, so as we talk about year-end tax planning, especially the last few years, it seems that no year-end tax planning discussion is 
complete without discussing whatever new tax legislation is pending in the House or the Senate or both. Um, again, we find ourselves in this position this year. We do not have anything that has been passed. They keep taking things out. They could throw some things back in at the last minute. So we are not covering any of those in this podcast today. Uh, this is November 18th. Um, but as we move through the end of the year, it's possible that that, that bill passes. And so, I, you know, we would just say keep your ear close to the ground on this. Uh, Cherry Beckert, we're going to be putting out additional podcasts and articles and other types of information as we get closer to this bill passing. And then certainly when it does pass, what 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 mean, what it means, how it impacts different taxpayers at different levels. Um, so just be aware that that uh, potentially could pass and that could potentially could have some, some pretty large changes for certain taxpayers uh, going into next year. Um, but I uh, appreciate your time today. As always, if you have any questions, you're more than uh, welcome to contact Greg, Carol, or myself. Uh, I want to thank Greg and Carol for, for their time today. And um, as always, thank you, and we'll see you in the next podcast.